Welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this week's edition of News in Focus is Chris Long. And good afternoon and welcome to this edition of News in Focus. We're glad that you've joined us. Today we're going to talk about civility in a day of incivility. That's what we're seeing across America in our streets and uh, all of that's gone on in our culture in this last year. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about civility and about the Civility Project that was launched by the Bliss Institute uh, of the University of Akron, the Political Science Department of the University of Akron. And uh, with us on the phone is Dr. John Green. He is the former director of the Bliss Institute. He's now emeritus, and uh, he's in semi-retirement. He's still doing writing. He's still doing some lecturing and uh, still um, is available for the Institute for special occasions. And we're glad that he's with us on the program today. Over the years, you know, Dr. Green and I have been interviewed by the same national public publications, uh, because when uh, Ohio, of course, was a battleground state in 2004 and uh, 6 and 8 and 12 and so on, uh, the, the some of the Wall Street Journal, Washington Times, or some of the national publications would interview Dr. Green, and then they would inver- interview me as well of uh, faith in politics. Uh, but first, let's go to an audio clip of when the uh, Civility Project was launched a few uh, in 2019, and this is uh, Dr. Green explaining about the project. I thought I'd just start by just talking a little bit about the, the background of how uh, this day came about. A few years ago, I think it was in 2011 or 2012, a number of people came together to look at the issue of civility uh, because we had a sense, unfortunately we are very accurate in that sense, uh, that civility was uh, declining uh, very sharply, you know, not just at the national level where we see these sorts of problems on television every night, but actually here in Akron on, on the ground. And so uh, colleagues from the University of Akron, from Mount Union University, and from Cleveland State uh, came together to establish the Ohio Civility Project. And we quickly discovered that there were a whole lot of people, not only in this region, but in the state, that were interested in this topic. And we quickly linked up with members of the faith community uh, who were very interested in this topic, also with people in the news media, uh, particularly the Akron Beacon Journal, which was very supportive of, of our efforts. Um, we had uh, support from a, a number of uh, political people. Uh, some of our political leaders are here today, uh, but I want to emphasize this, that the quest for civility is a bipartisan uh, activity. And indeed, it is a bipartisan activity, and we need civility today to actually listening to one another and to have a discourse. Even though we may agree, we can uh, do so, or disagree, excuse me, we can do so in a civil manner. With me on the phone again is Dr. John Green. Uh, Doctor, welcome to the program. Well, thank you. It's great to be with you this afternoon. Well, thank you. I've been wanting to talk to you about this uh, subject for some time. Uh, When you launched the project a few years ago, I was very interested in it. Uh, And, of course, I should have went to the website, as I have this last week, and learned quite a bit of the activities. Uh, In fact, the announcement that, uh, that day that we just played the audio clip, uh, from is that you were institutionalizing uh, the Civility Project uh, in an ongoing uh, organization in the University of Akron. Actually, it's uh, for the community, hosted by the Bliss Institute. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, you know, the idea was that civility is a, a very serious problem that we're facing, but we, and we're not going to solve it by just one or two activities. 
that we're going to have to have an ongoing process to bring together people who are concerned about civility, to help educate people, um, ordinary citizens, as well as people in leadership positions, about how we can find ways to talk to each other. That doesn't mean we're going to always agree. In fact, agreeing to disagree in a constructive fashion requires that we listen to each other and that we try to understand uh, the values and the backgrounds that um, lead us to the particular positions that we have. So that was the idea, was to institutionalize this process so it would be ongoing from year to year and wouldn't depend just on one person like me or my colleagues or, you know, a particularly uh, uncivil event uh, that would uh, mobilize people. But then once the event's over, you know, folks would go back uh, to their everyday life. The mission uh, here that I'm, I'm reading, to set standards for civility, provide resources to promote civility and prevent incivility, coordinate an annual summit celebrating civility, and most importantly, create a culture of civility in the greater Akron community. Uh, civility standards include listen, seek truth, show respect, words matter, act with integrity, appreciate differences, seek constructive engagement, Based differing opinions on common facts. Civility begins with you and ends with all of us. Through listening to our differences, we find a common way. So, you know, Doctor, of course, uh, so from when this first happened, you know, and like you said, back in 2011, 2012, was this a conversation you were having nationally with some of your colleagues uh, across the country? Uh, How did that original discussion take place? It was a conversation with people across the country, and really quite interesting across Ohio. Um, as I said in that little clip that you played, uh, once we started working on civility, we discovered that there were all kinds of people from all across the political spectrum and from many different walks of life that, that really felt that the ability to solve problems, a problem, things that we would all agree are problems, was seriously damaged by the fact that we were having a very hard time talking to each other in a respectful and constructive fashion. One of the things that that came out of the early conversations with my colleagues around the country and here in Ohio was that what we mean by civility is not just politeness, although, of course, always a good thing to be polite. But, But civility isn't just about politeness. It's about the minimum standards that are necessary for people to be able to work together where they find common purposes. And, you know, it's not uh, favoring, you know, one side of an issue over the other side because everyone can benefit, we felt, from being able to understand each other. And, you know, I have to say, um, I'm a naturally optimistic guy, but the last few years have have been, uh, you know, not very successful when it came to the civility area. And uh, as you pointed out in your earlier comments, and not just that things have become increasingly uncivil, but it's moved from uncivil speech to uncivil activities. I mean, we have, you know, we've had riots, we've had, you know, all kinds of uh, demonstrations that went awry. Um, so, so this isn't just about words, because words have consequences. And as we've seen, uh, some of the consequences can be pretty bad. Well, that's right. And, you know, you, you can't... so. You know, we've seen anarchy in the streets, and you can't argue with a mob. That's not a place where you start to have this discussion. Uh, you know, anybody with sense understands that. But I agree with you uh, to be able to start having these discussions. And, 
You know, it does um, it does uh, start with a, a certain attitude. Uh, you know, you, you kind of have to check your attitude a little bit and reach out to some people of different political persuasion, um, you know, with differences and realize that you might have you have an opportunity to have a discussion. And I've seen all kinds of people do that. I've seen people in the Tea Party do that, you know, over the years. And, of course, with our coalitions through uh, Christian Coalition, the Ohio Christian Alliance, over the years, being able to talk with other people. we Again, we may not agree with them, and it may be things we feel very deeply about and very strongly about. Uh, but at least to have that kind of engagement. So, for instance, starting with the State House, one of the things, Doctor, that really prevents us right now during the pandemic, uh, and I talked to uh, uh, some uh, representatives at the State House, you know, there's not been permitted in person meetings with constituents with their members for almost a year now. And the same is true in Congress, I'm told. I talked to Senator Portman staff, and they said, yeah, we're not having in person meeting with constituents. Uh, going back to last March. And so, you know, not communicating is not a good, you know, it it doesn't work in marriage, it doesn't work in relationships. And so when we talk about having an opportunity to talk to our representatives, uh, that actually helps to alleviate. Now, again, you may meet with your representative, you have a conversation, they may not agree with you, you may not agree with them, but at least you've had a conversation. You know, doctor, just the opportunity to be able to communicate with people has been, well, greatly inhibited by the shutdown of the pandemic. Your thoughts on that? Well, you're absolutely right. I think for perfectly understandable reasons, and then maybe for some not-so-understandable reasons, we have had a restriction in the ability of people to communicate with one another. And, and what I mean by that is um, you know, to combat the, the pandemic, particularly in the early days when, when things were not um, you know, well, perhaps as well understood as they are today, there were all these restrictions uh, placed on, on gatherings. Um, fortunately, that's easing up a little bit. But still, uh, there uh, is a lack of communication. And I hear this from, from many public officials, Democrats and Republicans, how frustrating it is for them to not be able to meet with their constituents. You know, even constituents that um, you know, have uh, complaints and grievances because good public officials, and, and we have a lot of them around the country, believe it or not, um, they want to hear from the public. Again, they may not always agree. They may not be able to solve everything problem that somebody has, but unless you can talk to each other, unless you have a way uh, to communicate, um, nothing uh, positive gets done. You know, I'm hoping that with, um, you know, the vaccines and and lightening up of some of the regulations that, uh, you know, in the next few months, we'll come back to that much greater level of meeting and interacting, uh, because I think that's where we, we begin to make progress. The last few years, of course, politically, you know, uh, President Trump, a populist president, a conservative, uh, at least, you know, as a Republican and, uh, you know, going back to when he was running in the primary, for instance, he wasn't my first choice. And when he became the nominee, I'm like, I don't understand this. But uh, I have to say, um, you know, as president, this is a guy who actually kept his promises of what he campaigned on like no other president in my lifetime. Uh, and, and so all these years of actually paying attention to what candidates say and then what they do sometimes is very different from what you actually get. With Donald Trump, he actually followed through on a lot of what he campaigned on to uh, of those who supported him. But he did have this 
you know, uh, kind of lightning personality with a Twitter account and all that, and he would inflame his opponents, and it was kind of his way. I didn't follow a lot of that personally, uh, you know, and I'm not supporting it, certainly, but, uh, you know, you could say, well, that was incivil, but uncivil, but, you know, neither were his opponents civil. I mean, you know, I had uh, former Governor Scott Walker on the program a couple weeks ago. He's now the president of America, uh, Young America's Foundation. And on one of the covers of their um, uh, magazines shows all the pictures of all the magazines of the negative press that Donald Trump got during his office. They never gave any credit to Melania, his wife. She was very gracious, and, and they never gave her any uh, positive press at all, uh, just the uh, just the opposite. You know, this didn't go without notice from those who supported President Trump. They're saying this: the media is not being fair nor equal. They're not giving him, and of course, even CNN, uh, in undercover videos recently by Veritas, uh, basically admitted that that they said, "Look, we wanted to get rid of Trump, whatever it took, and it was twenty four seven. We were out to get him." You know, of course, this is a whole other narrative about uh, journalism is dead, unfortunately. But uh, you know, that actually created an, an atmosphere of incivility where we couldn't have a proper discourse. And the president always wasn't like that. I mean, there was times he was very gracious with people, even his opponents, but they wouldn't have any of it. What is your thoughts about that when you reach out to try to be civil with your opponents, but uh, it's not reciprocated? Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, President Trump was not my first choice for the Republican nomination uh, or for president. Um, But I would agree with you. I think he performed much, much better than a lot of people gave him credit for. And I have a feeling that, you know, as we move forward, you know, historians are going to look back and they're going to be book after book written. You know, Donald Trump wasn't half as bad as, you know, a lot of people. Yes. Being. And, you know, the way I look at it, he did um, ha- have a contentious style, but he, uh, and, and, you know, I, I certainly was critical of that at certain points, but um, he operated in an environment where the dominant style is divisive and disruptive. And, uh, you know, you make the point that um, many people in the national media were, uh, you know, I think um, very unprofessional in their treatment of the president. Now, no president can expect to always get positive press. Uh, that's just not the way the world works. That's nor right. should it work that way. Yep. But, uh, boy, President Trump couldn't catch a break, you know, even when things worked well. You know, one time, you know, people talk about his tweets. Some of his tweets were, were pretty negative. But one time, just for fun, I went and read, like, um, six weeks of his of his tweets. And, you know, for the most part, they were very civil and very gracious. But, of course, civil and gracious tweets didn't make headlines, right? So, right. so those were not reported on. And, and, it, and so it gave, a, I think, a misimpression of his approach uh, to politics. Um <clears throat> In some ways, uh, President Trump's a symptom as much as anything of you know the kinds of problems that we have in this country. Mm. Many of his opponents simply did not want to listen to him, even when they had a good point, and maybe they might have won the argument. They didn't want to listen to him. They didn't want to engage with him. And uh, I think the consequences have been quite negative. You mentioned a little bit earlier, we have have, in- have had some unfortunate instances of what can only be described as anarchy. And, and, boy, that's just not good for anybody. And a lot of it, I think, goes back to the, the levels of incivility that we've been experiencing. We're talking with Dr. John Green. He is the Emeritus uh, Director of the 
Bliss Institute of Applied Politics at the University of Akron. Uh, again, that's the political science department. And, uh, of course, now he's writing and lecturing and still involved with the, uh, the Institute. And, of course, the Civility Project was something that was launched a few years ago. You know, Doctor, again, it caught my attention when you first launched it. And, you know, again, it's it's difficult. Like you say, you're an optimist. And I remember uh, when I was back uh, biovocational, I was pastoring and doing some painting contracting in people's homes at the same time. I remember a gentleman that was on his wall. He was a part of the Optimist Club. And my, my friend and I had a little bit of fun with that. I thought, the Optimist Club, what's that, right? And so, uh, you know, in a world that we live in. But, you know, talking about civility is a little bit like that. I mean, especially in the midst of the storm. Uh, now, thankfully, things are starting to calm down. So let's take Columbus, for instance, where there has been some protests recently, but they've been, well, there hasn't been destruction. Uh, we agree with people to be able to get out and uh, even in the streets and be able to express their First Amendment rights, uh, but not to basically burn down the city or, you know, create uh, havoc and, and destruction that hurts a lot of people and doesn't help anybody. Uh, so we support the First Amendment. And so it was good to see that, you know, in Columbus there were protests uh, of some police incidents recently from uh, folks in the community, but that uh, for the most part it was civil, I suppose that you'd say because there wasn't any destruction. I think, uh, you know, the rule of law, of course, is, is something to do with that, with um, uh, city officials are finally saying, hey, you know, we need to do, you know, we need to really have the rule of law here. And there were some people that were prosecuted. County Prosecutor Ron O'Brien was on the uh, program last summer, and then we replayed his clip of uh, some of the uh, uh, activity that he was about in prosecuting people that were committing crimes during the so-called peaceful protests that turned into riots. So I think that's gone a long way. That's what the rule of law is about. Our founders talked about, you know, mob rule is really not anything you want. Um, but, you know, we are going to return to a time where we're going to have discourse. We need to have that discourse uh, with each other. That's what this con country's built upon. It's built upon, you know, well, a debate that we disagree with each other, but it's always been civilly. Um, your thoughts on where you see the direction of what's going on politically now? Well, you know, I think we're at a very difficult moment, and part of it is because of some of the things that have happened to us in the last year. You know, the pandemic, the related, you know, economic decline, which has just hurt a lot of people. Um, and then, of course, some of the tensions, such as some of our racial tensions, uh, you know, disputes over law enforcement and so forth, which are not new problems, but I think they've been intensified in this environment. So I think we're at a critical moment, but I think we're at a moment where um, leadership, whether it's in elected officials or among political activists such as you and I or, or other people, and we have a chance for leadership where people can step up and say, you know, we, we, we all want the same things for the most part. You know, we want um, peace. We want progress. Uh, we want security. Um, we disagree on how to get there, but that's not all bad because nobody has a monopoly on, you know, truth and, and good ideas. So I think we'll get back to a point, particularly if, if our leaders step up, where we really can have those discussions. And, um, and that'll be, I think, really exciting. Um, and it, it, but it has to start somewhere. And unfortunately, we've been through a period where, um, the, the default position um, was to be uncivil, 
So, so I'm, I'm hoping, I'm really hoping that, that we're going to have a change here as things improve uh, in, in tangible terms, or we'll get back to having the kinds of discussions we need, because goodness knows, we've got a whole lot of problems that need to be addressed. We certainly do, and, you know, this is an opportunity, I think, uh, to do that. I think the Civility Project is a great idea, and it's, it's you know, you brought some great people together to be able to begin to have that discussion. In fact, I was watching uh, Bob Matuchik, uh, Patuchik, and, uh, who's the ORP chairman, uh, with uh, another gentleman from the Democratic Party having a discussion and civilly discussing politics in the state of Ohio and the uh, redraw of the district lines and that kind of thing, uh, so that we can respect each other on you know from each side of the aisle. You know, we think about Senator Portman, for instance. Uh, a lot of us we're actually sad that he's leaving the Senate because he's been a senator that's been willing to work with the Democrats on a host of issues that doesn't compromise his core beliefs on uh, some conservative issues, but he's been able to, to reach across the aisle and, and really be a workman. Uh, and we kind of look at it, we thought, well, this is a senator for a more civil time. We're kind of sad that he's leaving Washington because we think he's kind of needed now more than ever. But uh, nevertheless, um, uh, you know, maybe he has seen that it's difficult to work in the environment in Washington. What do you think might turn things around in Washington? Well, you know, I think what, what Mayberry will do it is if we can um, have a big success. And, you know, I was hoping that, that perhaps coming out of the pandemic and maybe in the area of health care or, or in some similar area, there'll, there'll be an opportunity for people to come together, um, you know, to work across the aisle to, to address a big problem and solve it. And then you've got, you know, what, what some people call a demonstration effect. Hey, look, it worked. <laughs> we worked together. We talked to each other. We listened. You know, we came up with things that we could all get behind. And, gee, why don't we do it again? Unfortunately, the examples that come to mind in politics for most people are negative examples. They're examples that you can't accomplish things. Uh, you know, if you try to work with people, you end up feeling betrayed. Um, and, and I think we've got to turn that that um, those negative examples around. And the way to do it, I think, the way I hope it'll happen is that we'll have a big success that everyone uh, will point to. You know, your point about Senator Portman is very well taken. I was very sad when I heard that he was stepping down, not going to run for re-election. But on the other hand, I could kind of understand it. I remember being in his office a couple of years ago representing the University of Akron, and he told me, he said, you know, this this job just isn't as much fun as it used to be. Yeah. You know, because his, you know, people, they don't want to talk to each other. They don't want to listen. And so at a personal level, I can certainly understand how, you know, maybe he's ready to do something else. Well, Doctor, thank you for coming on the program. This has been a great discussion on civility. We appreciate that you launched the project. If you'd like to follow Dr. Green and, of course, his writings, uh, follow the Bliss Institute and also the Civility Project, the Ohio Civility Project. Again, Doctor, thank you for being my guest today. You're very welcome. Have a good day. God bless you. And again, folks, if you've missed any of today's program, you can hear it in its entirety at our website at ohioca.org. Stand by. We'll be talking about security at the Ohio State House and the bills that have been introduced to address some of those issues. Uh, that will be next.
Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. And the soldiers who stormed the beaches of Normandy and the Allied liberation of Europe. On D-Day, all those warriors set out on their mission. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt led our nation in prayer. The D-Day Prayer Project is an effort to add FDR's D-Day Prayer in its entirety at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. This wonderful historical presidential prayer will be a lasting tribute to our World War II veterans. If you'd like to make a contribution towards the effort of adding this prayer to the memorial, go to the website at ddayprayerproject.org. That's ddayprayerproject.org. I'm Johnette Cruz, and I'm a busy mom. Then a friend told me about TrustBlueReview.com, a new website powered by the Christian Blue Network. She uses it to find trusted Christian-owned businesses. I checked it out, read the helpful reviews, and found a great family dentist. Now I use TrustBlueReview for all my family's needs. For peace of mind, do what I did. Visit TrustBlueReview.com or download their free mobile app from your app store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue Will my kids like this dentist? Can I trust this mechanic? Who's a good choice for my upcoming remodel? I found businesses I can trust from TrustBlueReview.com. This company rebuilt our deck and renovated our bathroom. I'd highly recommend them to anyone looking to hire an honest contractor. The best dentist experience I've ever had. It's now easy to find trusted businesses in my community that have the same Christian values as my family. It all starts at TrustBlueReview.com or download their app in the App Store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue the following is a previously aired broadcast. Welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this week's edition of News in Focus is Chris Long. And good afternoon and welcome to this edition of News in Focus. We're glad that you've joined us. We're going to give you a State House update of legislation that's moving through the Ohio legislature that will protect the Ohio State House and also protect state government buildings and personnel uh, in the wake of the riots and the uprising we saw this last year. We're going to bring you to some news reports from this last year in one of the interviews we had with then County Prosecutor Ron O'Brien. He is the uh, County Prosecutor Franklin County for many years. He did not win his reelection. Unfortunately, he's a very good man. He's done some great work. I think he was there for 24 years. But he got a lot of things in motion. We're going to talk about how the rule of law really makes a difference. Uh, and so for those who are saying we need to defund the place, uh, we need to uh, draw back and let uh, protesters and rioters do what they want, that is not the case. The Bible says, really, that uh, there's consequences for actions, and, in that, and actually that the law enforcement does not bear the sword in vain. We want to draw your attention to Senate Bill 34. This is a piece of legislation introduced by State Representative Andy Brenner. He'll be on the program with us in the next couple of weeks, along with State Senator Tim Schaefer, to talk about the two pieces of legislation that he introduced. That would be Senate Bill 16 and Senate Bill 41. Senate Bill 16 protects police and fire and emergency 
service personnel when they are out on their runs. What we have seen in recent months, even here in Ohio, has that police and fire and EMS personnel have been accosted when going to the scene of either an accident or maybe a disturbance, or, you know, obviously the police have been uh, the targets of abuse as well. And these are the men and women in blue that we really uphold and pray for because they help keep the peace. They have been deputized by us as a civil body politic to do just that, to uphold the laws that we as a representative form of government have passed. Well, we're going to take you to an audio clip from ABC of Columbus. This is from last year, of course, uh, May 28th. We're coming up on almost the anniversary of May 28th. That's when the George Floyd uh, riots broke out across the country, and Columbus was targeted. In fact, uh, we have on our website uh, the testimony that we presented in a committee of Senate Bill 34, and again, it's called the State House Security Bill uh, that was introduced by State uh, Senator Andy Brenner. We also have on there a link of the 35 pages of call log of the Columbus Police Department that details every broken into building and looted building on the night of May 28th of last year, which basically Columbus, Ohio, became a war zone. But uh, then, through the month of May and into June, there were other disturbances and protests and vandalism at the Ohio State House. There's two specific dates we want to draw your attention to. That was May 28th, as for the first time in 163 years, the Ohio State House became the target of vandalism and violence as rioters went to the state house, broke inside it. Their intent was to actually light a fire, and as they said in one uh, report, to burn it down and to put it on live feed. Well, Governor uh, DeWine was very upset of what happened a few weeks later on June 18th when protest rioters took red paint and uh, defaced the pillars, the steps, the monuments outside of the state house. And this was in broad daylight, and we still have not gotten answers as to why State Highway Patrol stood down that day and did not uh, intervene uh, to these uh, protesters. A few, um, none of them were arrested that day, and we're going to learn in this program just how they were then pursued by County Prosecutor Ron O'Brien and later did face charges and prosecution, thankfully, because somebody is upholding the rule of law. That was uh, Ron O'Brien. but. Some other good things have come out of that as well, and so it's important that we uphold the rule of law. Let's go to that clip of ABC News report. Again, this was from last year uh, after the June event of the defacing of the State House and what then Governor DeWine said about it. The State House has been a repeated target, and Governor DeWine is vowing to put a stop to it. Jeff Reddick live at the State House tonight with more. So, Jeff, how, can, how does he plan to do that? Well, you're going to see a lot more armed presence from troopers with the Ohio State Highway Patrol. For example, you can see them now. Four to six of them have been posted by the McKinley Monument here out front. They're also posted at the main entrances to the State House. And way up there, you can see they're also still posted outside the Columbus Monument, which has seen some vandalism, too. This is all a much greater police presence than we had seen over the last two weeks. And that's because vandals had again splashed paint, including red handprints and words against police across 
the building last week. It eventually took a private company to wash off much of the vandalism. This is a part of protesting that the governor believes has no place in Columbus. He says he will not tolerate it, and neither will the highway patrol. My instructions to them uh, is that when there is vandalism, when there is any act uh, that's illegal, uh, they are to investigate it, and they are to take that once they get the case uh, and to take that prosecution, and we're going to seek prosecution. The governor had also noted that small businesses in Columbus have seen vandalism as well. He said that that is also not to be tolerated because these are businesses owned by men and women who've put work into them for many years and don't deserve to see their dreams dashed by vandals. That was a report from AB6 News. Uh, that was last year, of course, during uh, after the uh, uh, protest, painting protest at the Ohio State House that actually cost $163,000 of Ohio's taxpayer money to fix the damages of both May 28th and June 18th of last year. And as you heard in that report, Governor DeWine urged the superintendent of the Highway Patrol, Mr. Richard Fambro, to actually protect the people's house. Let me read this statement to you that the governor issued last year. I have spoken with Ohio State Highway Patrol Colonel Richard Fambro about security at the Ohio State House, and I shared with him my anger and disgust at the vandalism that occurred there yesterday. I support the right to peacefully protest. However, defacing, damaging, and vandalizing our state capitol and its grounds are wrong, and such actions are criminal. The Ohio State Patrol is conducting a criminal investigation into yesterday's acts, and they will send their findings to the appropriate authorities for potential prosecution. That's what Governor DeWine stated last year uh, after the State House was defaced. Well, it has taken this long, 11 months later, for legislation to be introduced and for the Ohio legislature to finally weigh in to start protecting the people's house. Some of these crimes, uh, amazingly enough, were only misdemeanors. Uh, so even if you were to prosecute them, they would only be facing misdemeanor charges. Although County Prosecutor Ron O'Brien, you'll hear later in this uh, segment, is uh, he was pursuing felony charges. But uh, Senate Bill 34 will elevate them to felony charges. Let me read to you from our testimony as we submitted yesterday to the Senate Judiciary Committee in the Ohio Senate. That's Chairman Manning. It says, Ohioans were shocked and dismayed that the People's House had become a target of vandalism by anarchists who were attempting to use the People's House to send a message, and that message was sent through violence and vandalism. Ohioans were stunned and wondering why such security breaches were occurred and were allowed, resulting in vandalism and destruction at the historic Ohio State House. The vandalism and destruction that the Ohio State House suffered in May and June of 2020 was the first time that the Ohio State House had become a target of such wanton vandalism and destruction in its 163-year history. The Ohio State House actually housed Union troops during the Civil War, and Abraham Lincoln, the great abolitionist president, visited the State House in 1859, speaking for two hours against the evils of slavery. He visited again on his way to Washington to take his oath of office, and his final visit was when his body had laid in state at the Rotenda after his assassination. The Ohio State House does not represent oppression or slavery or racism. 
It represents the people's house in a representative form of government. The, do- the doors are, o- are open to the public to share their views on public policy. There was no reason for the violence of vandalism, that, uh, but one cannot argue with the mob. SB 34 represents another step forward in a rule of law. It will increase the penalties for arson and related offenses, criminal damaging and endangering, and provides additional modern high-definition security cameras. Well, that's what was needed, and so the damages that took place back on May 28th of last year and June 18th, there was a way in which County Prosecutor Ron O'Brien did pursue those criminals and then finally brought them to justice. Let's hear from the interview we conducted last summer with then County Prosecutor Ron O'Brien. We're talking yes. with uh, Franklin County Prosecutor Ron O'Brien. And, of course, uh, Franklin County is where s- the city of Columbus is in central Ohio and where our state government is hosted. And, of course, unfortunately, the scene of riots on May 28th and then again on June 18th as um, uh, paint vandalism took place to the state house. Now, Ron, uh, as you as that we heard on that uh, audio clip earlier in the program, this paint actually they had to the, they had to hire a contractor with special equipment when they first came out to try to power wash it out. Uh, the next couple of days, they realized that the power wash unit was destroying some of the sandstone. So they had to rethink how they were going to do it. They had to hire and uh, acquire some special equipment for the paint removal. This is not just simple, you know, paint. And, of course, uh, you know, this was really expensive damages. And it, it, between the broken windows and the paint vandalism, it amounted to $160,000, but that cost is bound to go higher. Uh, you have some indictments on the June 18th event. Let's talk about that, the painting incident. In fact, in other words, we could say you caught them red-handed. Tell us how that happened. Yes, actually, uh, how the people were identified, because uh, the Ohio Patrol uh, stopped some people who were heading towards the uh, steps in the front of the state house uh, and thought that they had you know prevented them from doing that and uh, while they went inside, another group arrived, and they painted uh, put their hands in the red uh, paint in the cans and then put their red paint handprints on those oh, probably six-inch diameter columns that are uh, across the front of the state house, and then on these uh, steps, um, probably eight or ten, twelve steps, uh, some of that is marble, uh, going up to enter the state house, which that material was uh, porous, and so when you got paint on it, it um, went into the columns and went into the concrete and the marble and was very difficult, as you just mentioned, to remove. So they had had and did hire a uh, special cleaning crew to do that, and they did get it cleaned up. But uh, the delay in getting some charges filed on that and actually on the fellow that broke into the state house, the question initially was, uh, was it a criminal trespass, which is a misdemeanor? that would be handled by the city attorney's office, or was it something more serious such as vandalism with uh, damage to government property that would make it a felony where we would handle it? And so we uh, 
did further investigation, first trying to identify the people, and luckily the people that had the red paint in front of the state house, they bragged about it to some uh, news media, and we were able to, through that process, identify who two of them were. And then the highway patrol and the Columbus police reviewed their body cams to see if they could see who the individuals may have been that were uh and they identified two other people that way. So right now there are uh, three people charged with vandalism, criminal damage, and criminal mischief for the red paint incident. And there is a fourth that we have a file on who's not yet been charged, but he was just identified through that process of looking at the surveillance uh, video, which I might add, uh, the, as a result of the, these incidents, that we found that the surveillance uh, cameras inside the state house itself uh, were old enough that they were very poor pictures, and you actually couldn't identify the people that were uh, trespassing in the state house after they broke in. And I've had a conversation with Senator uh, Andrew Brenner, who is uh, going to get some money in the budget this year to improve the surveillance cameras. That's right, high resolution cameras for the state house. Exactly, be, because uh, we'll have a robbery at a. Uh, uh, a small grocery store, and they had better video equipment to identify the robber of a small uh, a corner grocery store than they had in our state house, which I found somewhat amazing, Chris. Well, that was uh, then County Prosecutor Ron O'Brien, who did some tremendous work, as you can hear in that interview. In fact, the transcript of that entire interview is part of our testimony that we presented to the Ohio legislature this week and the Senate Judiciary Committee. That's Chairman uh, Manning's committee. And again, um, that is because Senate Bill 34 is being heard, excuse me, and that is the State House Security Bill, Senate Bill 34, which will elevate these crimes to felonies. So it's going to be very serious for these folks. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. And the soldiers who stormed the beaches of Normandy and the Allied liberation of Europe, on D-Day, all those warriors set out on their mission. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt led our nation in prayer. The D-Day Prayer Project is an effort to add FDR's D-Day Prayer in its entirety at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. This wonderful historical presidential prayer will be a lasting tribute to our World War II veterans. If you'd like to make a contribution towards the effort of adding this prayer to the memorial, go to the website at ddayprayerproject.org. That's ddayprayerproject.org. Will my kids like this dentist? Can I trust this mechanic? Who's a good choice for my upcoming remodel? I found businesses I can trust from TrustBlueReview.com. This company rebuilt our deck and renovated our bathroom. I'd highly recommend them to anyone looking to hire an honest contractor. The best dentist experience I've ever had. It's now easy to find trusted businesses in my community that have the same Christian values as my family. It all starts at TrustBlueReview.com or download their app in the App Store today. The trusted source for all you do. Trust Blue you know, Prosecutor O'Brien said that they had 142 arrests, ended up having a number of uh, people charged. Uh, this was after the riots last year of both uh, uh, May 28th and then, of course, uh, in between, uh, there was other activity that went on in downtown Columbus. It was actually a war zone for a while. All of it was boarded up. 
Some of the buildings are still boarded up nearly a year later, and uh, uh, but uh, things have calmed down quite a bit, thankfully. And again, law enforcement's doing its job, and the rule of law is prevailing here, and that's what's so important. So let's let's bring into this the idea, as you've heard in this program, St. Joseph's Catholic Cathedral. Again, a protest group, a pro-abortion uh, feminist, radical feminist group, came into the mass of the Catholic Church while it was in progress, and they were observing uh, a, a memorial for the unborn. It was in observance of Roe v. Wade. It was in their own Catholic cathedral. So these anarchists broke in to the service. They began a disruption. They had placards. They had bullhorns. There were shoutings and profanities. And they thought they were going to get away with it. And this was all on Columbus Dispatch. We actually, and the video was out there in the media and on Channel 10 in Columbus. And we, at the Ohio Christian Alliance, one of the things we do is bring to you relative, relative news and information. And we put that out as well. If you're not on our email list, you need to do that. Go to our website, Ohio Christian Alliance, and sign up to our email alerts. We'll make sure you get that information in a timely manner. And also, you'll find on our website this completed testimony, which is basically 23 pages of testimony. It put us uh, basically a year to put all this information together that we presented before the committee, a very comprehensive report to the committee, again, supporting Senate Bill 34. We're also gonna, we've also presented testimony in Senate Bill 16 that protects police and fire and emergency crews when they're out on their rounds. And then, of course, Senate Bill 42, uh, that's, uh, you know, it, those who want to riot, uh, look, we're all for exercising your ability of the First Amendment, and we'll defend the First Amendment, your right to even protest and um, bring your grievances to government. But when you start criminal acts of vandalism and violence, you're going to face the law. And uh, these, uh, Senate Bill 42, will actually elevate to criminal felony charges, those who commit assault and property, severe property damage during times of riot, and get this, with restitution. So we're going to weigh in on that bill, too, and we're going to support that. That's Senator Tim Schaefer, and he introduced Senate Bill 16 and Senate Bill 42. Its companion is Senate Bill 34 that we're talking about right now. But um, when you consider all this, what, what, why is that important? Well, it's important that we're talking about our state government. We're talking about Columbus, Franklin County, and, of course, where our state government is hosted with the state house, with our state Supreme Court. Uh, the, ju- the Justice Senate Center is there. Uh, that's where our state auditor, our state treasurer, our state attorney general all conduct the acts of their offices in Columbus, which is our state capital. And again... What I read to you earlier, in the 163-year history of the historic Ohio Statehouse that basically played host to President Lincoln, the great abolitionist president, there was no need for that building to be a target of anything. It doesn't represent racism. It doesn't represent slavery. In fact, uh, there's a wonderful placard there commemorating the two-hour speech that uh, President Abraham Lincoln gave uh, and, and, and speaking against the evils of slavery and in 19, uh, excuse me, in 1859. Uh, and then later, after he was assassinated in office, his body laid in state. The, the building's historic. Uh, it's open. It's the, called the People's House. It's our house. It's where we go to discuss public policy. We may not always agree with our fellow Ohioans, but it's where we can civilly discuss uh, issues of government. 
It doesn't need to be a place of anarchy. So these people that uh, basically violated the law and brought vandalism, that was vandalism. That was a crime against you and me as, our, as, as we are Ohioans, because it's our house. It's maintained by the taxpayers, and it's protected by the highway patrol. Well, they didn't do a very good job that day, and when you go to the website, you're going to see basically all that had happened with the painting um, uh, vandalism that happened at the State House that day on the monuments. The beautiful monuments have been dedicated over the years, the war memorials. The state motto itself is there in bronze, and they deface that as well, and it's called, With God, All Things Are Possible. Well, there was clean crews that came. They had to use special equipment because the porousness of the marble of the building, they didn't want to destroy that while they were trying to get the paint out. And uh, so those people are facing charges. Well, this new bill will mean that they will face restitution. And I dare say 163000 and actually it's more than that, folks, because we're going to press uh, the folks who work at the State House and maintain it for a more accurate accounting of what happened there. The State Highway Patrol reports that you'll see in the testimony were a little woeful. What I mean, they're too thin. Where did we get our information more accurately? Well, you can hear from County Prosecutor Ron O'Brien and the fine work that he did in his team. But also, what happened with uh, uh, the Columbus Police in their call log that they provided, and it was 35 pages of call log of what happened on May 28th. Let me read uh, for you a few lines that just jumped off and actually was very disturbing. It said, West Side of State House, this is on the night of May 28th, all fired west, side doors running, uh, state house. Uh, troopers have them at gunpoint. Uh, that's because they broke into the state house. They had to discharge tear gas and rubber bullets. And it said, we are getting a report that they want to set the state house on fire in, in live feed. Well, thankfully, that did not happen. And those people were uh, arrested that night and then charges weren't immediately filed, unfortunately, due to the um, city attorney, a Democrat, a liberal, and he didn't want to do anything. Thankfully, County Prosecutor Ron O'Brien did pursue charges. And now that we've actually urged city government to do something, back to the St. Joseph's Cathedral, those people who weren't charged that day have since been charged. You know, folks, people at the end don't want to go to jail. So let's fast forward. Last week, when there was a protest at the uh, police precinct downtown Columbus, the protesters at shows in the Columbus Dispatch came in front of the State House, but they did not go onto the grounds of the State House. They thought better of it. Why? Because they don't want to have their keister put in jail. If you enforce the law, people will obey the law, and that's what we need in a civil and peaceful society. So we need to pray for law enforcement. We need to pray for those who serve us in government, and uh, we ask you to go visit our website and listen to the the uh, website, the testimony of the presentation we gave to Senate Bill 34, the, the State House Security Bill. That's at ohioca.org. Just search Ohio Christian Alliance, That's uh, and it's all on our website, and sign up for our email list. Thanks for listening. God bless. We'll see you next week. You have been listening to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. To learn more about the issues that matter most to you and your family, visit online at ohioca.org. 
That's ohioca.org. Thank you for listening. This program is sponsored by the Ohio Christian Alliance of Akron, Ohio.